and I'm balling, up, up, and I'm balling, and I'm balling, and I'm balling. We are definitely balling today on the Wallace and Ware HBCU football podcast for this week. Hope you had an outstanding Thanksgiving. I'm one of your hosts, Donald Ware, host of the National Sports Talk Show. From the press box to press row, got my main man, my co-host, Mike Wallace. Also, what's going on, Mike? Hey, man. What isn't going on? Goodness gracious, man. Grind City is... uh. Is uh it's it's getting going, man. It's uh it's going hot right now. It's a little hot right now in Grind City, man. We got some some uh, a smoking hot college football team in the University of Memphis heading to the conference championship game. We got a not so hot basketball team uh, trying to find its way now, having made a coaching change. And you know, for me, I'm 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 great because I'm coming off the Bayou Classic last weekend, man. So you know, Gramlin did his thing again. Again, like I told you in our pitch, and uh, so it's it's a jam packed show, man. So you know, I want I want to definitely uh, first off start off the show by inviting all of our listeners. First of all, appreciating all of our listeners and our followers. Uh, you know, from the SWAC, the MEAC, the CIAA, the SIAC, all across the land in HBCU sports and culture. Uh, don't miss the next Grizzlies home game Friday, December first. That's this Friday at seven p.m. when the Grizzlies tip off against the San Antonio Spurs at FedEx Forum. Fans can experience an exclusive beer tasting featuring Elysian and Goose Island microbrews. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. I, I'm not a beer drinker, <laughs> but I'm going to go Elysian and Goose Island microbrews in the draft room. Beer tastings passes start at $44 a person and gets you a ticket to the game, complimentary food, a sampling of brews, and a commemorative Grizzlies pint glass. To purchase your tickets or for more information, log on to grizzlies.com or call 901-888-HOOP today 901-888 hoop today so we got a little bit of business out of the way and we got you know several other topics to get to but obviously donald i mean the first and foremost thing that we need to talk about is <clears throat> the grizzlies have, uh, have been forced to make a coaching change at this point um this one hits me a little bit personally because i've known david fisdale i've been around him in miami uh for for i was in miami 10 years he was in miami i think seven of the last seven of those years uh, before he took over and became coach of the Memphis Grizzlies uh, last offseason. So, you know, David Fisdale uh, has been dismissed and relieved of his duties uh, this week after the Grizzlies got off to a 5-1 a and one start, but they've lost 11 of 13 over a stretch. Um, you know, injuries have been piling up. The, the losses have been piling up. And it's just been uh, the, the, the front office felt, Chris Wallace, general manager, felt like this team was trending in a, in a, in a concerning direction. Um, you know, the dismissal comes uh, a, a day after uh, David Fisdale and Mark Gasol exchanged. Uh, uh, they didn't exchange heated words against one another, but David Fisdale pretty much benched Mark Gasol for the fourth quarter of a loss to the Brooklyn Nets uh, at home on Sunday. And, you know, moments after the game ended, Mark Gasol basically said that uh, he was disappointed. He took the decision personally, and it exposed some issues uh, that Mark has had with this team, with this coaching staff to a certain degree, and a change was made. So, you know, listen, it, it's unfortunate. I'm, I'm, I'm in this business. I see coaching changes all the time. I see players traded all the time. I've seen front office executives move on and, and transition all the time, uh, but it's never comfortable, and, and it's never a good situation, especially when you know these guys as intimately and are around them every day like I'm around them. But it's a tough day. I figured, listen, it's the Wallace and Ware 
uh, HBCU podcast. Yes, we talk football all the time, and we're going to talk football uh, in this podcast as well. But I felt like uh, as Grind City Media senior editor, I wanted to get our voice and this story and our reaction to it, my reaction to it personally as well, out. Um, I'm not happy about the dismissal. I do think this puts a lot more pressure on the Grizzlies, uh, particularly Mark Gasol, to perform, uh, to become the all-star, the all-NBA talent that he's capable of being, and and try to rescue the Grizzlies out of this funk right now. Uh, Because when you do make a change of this magnitude, especially a popular coach throughout the NBA, uh, something's got to give. And and now the onus is on the other side, so to speak, uh, of this uh, of this decision, and that means Mark Gasol, that means this general manager uh, that that led the decision, and that means that this franchise and this team has to respond, and hopefully they do get a chance to do that. No, very well said, Mike. I mean, obviously you know much better than me covering uh, this team. I mean, as an outsider sort of looking in, I mean, I look at – I mean, it, it wasn't even a year and a quarter. That's the first thing I look at. I look at the fact you're right. I mean, all of the success as an assistant coach that he had – in Miami, multiple championships. Um, and then last year was, I mean, they made the playoffs. I know Memphis, and I always talk about this when it comes to the Grizzlies, that it's a consistent organization, a consistent team. You mentioned Mark Gasol. Mark Gasol has been, I mean, pretty consistent, um, very much a part of this organization. I I, I just, you know, I, I, you know, and I understand, yeah, you've lost, you know, four straight games or whatever it was. Um, you know, I, and this is pro sports. That's the thing about it. It's not college. It's pro sports. These type of things happen. Um, you know, it, it, it sounds like the Grizzlies are picking the player uh, over the coach. And, I mean, I don't know the player. I mean, you know, I guess he's, you know, having a pretty solid season. He's had a pretty solid career. But how many more years does the – and I'm not saying it's – like you said, it's not maybe all about Mark Gasol, but it's interesting that this firing comes – after this exchange that you talked about. So you're almost choosing the player over the coach. And uh, again, one year in, not even a quarter of the way, or maybe about a quarter of the way through the season, you let uh, this this young coach who has done a good job, who you're, you're right, he's dynamic. Uh, you know, he's very well liked around the NBA to let him go. I, you know, I... I, you know, I tell you what, to your point with respect to the general manager, you know, hopefully he's got a good plan going forward and uh, they can maybe turn around this this losing streak. But, you know, I guess I'm a little I'm a little bit, um, you know, I'm 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 puzzled. I mean, I got to be honest with you when I look. I mean, it's Mike, it's been a year and much less than half a season for Fisdale to be able to do what he's done. And, and you let him go out. I'm confused by this. And you know what? Uh, you're right in line with LeBron James, with Dwayne Wade, with Vince Carter, with Damian Lillard, with uh, coaches across this league uh, who have come out on social media and, and have shown support for Fisdale. I mean, you know, obviously coaches are going to close rank and, and no one wants to see uh, a colleague. There's only 30 of these guys in the league that get head coaching jobs at one particular time. And, uh, you know, of course, there was some shock. And, you know, even I, I can tell you this much. Even uh, from from my vantage point, uh, I knew something had to happen at some point. Whether that was, you know, the sides coming together and trying to re uh, redirect themselves to win and try to dig themselves out uh, of this rut. But I also know for a fact that, you know, again, it, it, 
101 games is what David Fizdale got. And, and to me, that seems too, too few. You don't get a chance to really establish your program and set the course for what you want to do in 101 games at a time when you're also charged with changing the culture, bringing in a new playing style. They've gotten away from the core four, which was Tony Allen, Mike Conley, Zach Randolph, and Marcus Gasol. Uh, Tony and Mark, I mean, excuse me, uh, Tony and Zach are gone. You're playing a different brand of basketball, and then 19 games into your second season, uh, this thing is, is, is over with. Um, you know, perhaps this was also Fisdale saying, listen, uh, if it's not going the way you think it should go and you don't believe in what I'm doing, then maybe it's best for us to part ways. Um, I'm not going to discount that, you know, this was completely uh, uh, shocking to Fisdale. I think he knew uh, where things were headed. I think he knew where things stood. I think he obviously in the game against the Nets when he chose to bench Mark Gasol um, at a time when he knew what he was doing. You know, he, he knew the decision he was making, and he knew the sort of backlash that was going to come. Did he think it was going to cost him his job, you know, the next day or two days later? I, I can't speak to that. I don't think so. But I also know that, you know, again, it, it was on the ropes. <clears throat> um, to the Grizzly side of this, they feel like, okay, you know, Fisdale didn't finish the last season strong enough at all. I mean, this team was sort of cratering towards the end of last season, still made the playoffs, won 43 games, pushed San Antonio to six games in the first round of the playoffs. So that left a better taste in the mouths of a lot of fans and a lot of people uh, in the organization. But going in and sort of limping in when you had a chance to get a number four seed and you end up as a number seven seed, um, you know, there, there were some struggles coming down that stretch too, in, particularly in February and March and in the early part of April. So, you know, I, I, I disagree with it. There's no way, like, unless there's a crime committed or something to that extent, uh, 101 games a year and in, in, in 19 games into your tenure, I, I don't think it's enough time to really lay your foundation. Uh, but, but, again, like I said, Fisdale is a guy that I've known and I know him. I've had a chance to communicate with him uh, in the last few days. Uh, he's going to be okay. This is a guy that's going to land on his feet. Uh, he's going to be better from this. There's some things he can definitely learn, and he will learn, and he's talked about learning from. But, you know, again, I mean, this is a man that a lot of people throughout the league have respect for. He certainly was deeply rooted in the community here uh, in Memphis. He, he, he took some controversial stands, and he stood by them. Uh, but he wanted to make the city better. He instituted programs to make the city better. Uh, the Memphis Police, Police Athletic League was a program Fisdale wanted to put in place, and he did that. So, you know, even in a short tenure, uh, he got a lot done on and off the field uh, field of play. And I just wish him, you know, the best as he moves on, man. I'm going to miss the guy because I, I, I grew to love him personally uh, uh, for what he stood for and how he stood about uh, went about his business. I went back to South Central L.A. to the neighborhood. We've actually been nominated for an Emmy uh, for, for the project that we've done. Uh, we did the video project that we did, taking him back to his uh, South Central roots. And we'll see if we win it, you know, in, in a couple weeks here. But, you know, Fisdale has meant a lot uh, uh, in such a short amount of time to a lot of people. And I think he's going to land on his feet. I know he's going to land on his feet. And best to him and his family as he transitions. And we'll see if the Grizzlies can do the same thing and, and try to move in a positive direction. Yeah, and, and you know, Mike. I mean, and not to belabor it again. J just my thoughts. You're you're an insider. You know, but the optics say, particularly with the fact 
that it's the exchange with Mark Gasol and then all of a sudden Fisdale is out. What is Gasol in the third year of a five-year deal? He's 32 years old. You're picking a player that's, you know, on the, I mean, I don't want to, you know, sort of on the, the more the more downside, I don't want to say, but the more downside of his career as opposed to a younger coach. What is Fisdale, 43 years old? To your point, I mean, I realize this is pro sports in college we we may have if this was a college type of situation if we equated it to you know maybe a big time college program and I mean you said it all of those things that he instituted if we if we equated that to college it may look a little bit different um, I get it this is pro sports doesn't matter what you you know necessarily what you've done to the community in the community what you've meant to the community. Pro sports is pro sports, though, and at, at its highest level, by the way, and those type of things uh, could happen. But again, the optics look bad because, like you said, what he meant uh, to the community, and also it looks as though you're picking uh, a an aging player over a young, dynamic coach. Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I won't disagree with you at all, and I think you're absolutely right. Optics, the optics don't look good at all, and. They shouldn't look good. I mean, there's no way to defend it and equate it to, to something that's reasonable. This is, a, you know, I don't think that this is uh, uh, how anyone hoped that it played out. And, and I can even go a step further and say this. Listen, you know, for this to hit the head that it hit, um, to happen so soon after the head that it hit, does speak to the fact that, the, yes, there was some, some, something that could not be resolved ultimately between uh, the franchise player and your head coach. Uh, there's also another franchise player there too, Mike Conley, uh, who, who who has to deal with this as well. I mean, Fisdale was Fisdale got the best seasons out of Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol that Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol ever had offensively last year. Now, of course, the players have to produce. Fisdale instituted a system that had them both putting up career high years last season. Um, so, you know, it, it's one of those deals where. Yes, there's much, there's as much, if not more, ammo to defend Fisdale for staying around than it is for him to having lost his job. Um, you know, Marcus Gasol is going to have to live with the stigma that this is something that, whether it's true or not, optically, it certainly leads to uh, many to believe that he's the one that was behind this because of his strong demonstrative comments that came after uh, the game Sunday night that led to the dismissal. Uh, Monday afternoon. So, you know, it's one of those situations where, you know, I don't know any player that wants to be viewed as sort of a coach killer. Um, but Mark has had five coaches since he's been in Memphis, the 10 years he's been in Memphis, something along those lines when you count interims as well. So, you know, it's one of those situations where, again, Mark is a three-time All-Star. He went to high school in this city. Uh, his brother Powell was a star in this city when they played at the Pyramid. Uh, the Gasols, the Grizzlies have not known a basketball season uh, in Memphis without a Gasol on the roster. Um, so it's one of those situations where, you know, this is this is a legacy player here. And, you know, uh, so players are always, you know, you go to go look at Byron Scott's career. You know, there were some issues that Byron Scott had with Jason Kidd. And, you know, uh, when he coached Jason Kidd, there were some issues Byron Scott had with Chris Paul. You know, you go to, you know, Pat Riley. There were some issues Pat Riley obviously had uh, uh, that led to Pat Riley getting the Lakers job when Paul Westfall and, um, and, and <clears throat> excuse me, Magic Johnson couldn't get along. Um, you've seen it play out time and time and time again. David Blatt, LeBron James. You know, you've seen this thing uh, play out all over the place. The, it's marked the magnitude of those kind of transitional 
generational players. Uh, that you know, I, that remains to be seen. I mean, he certainly is an all star, but I mean, is he all world? Yeah. Bottom line is this: the decision had to be made for the best interest of the team. That's what the team is saying. I don't think David Fisdale would argue that it was headed to a place that wasn't going to be good for 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 continued uh, sustained success. And now he's out. You know, he's he's uh, out midway through a three-year contract. Uh, I believe he gets the full terms of his contract financially, and uh, he'll be on somebody's staff really, really, really soon. I mean, I, I, I'm confident in that part of it. And uh, optically, you're right, Donald. It, uh, it, it doesn't look good, and there's no defense for it uh, from an optic standpoint whatsoever. And, of course, to keep up with what's going on with the Grizzlies, uh, keep it locked right here at grindcitymedia.com grindcitymedia.com for the latest on David Fisdale. Let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit here and and uh, look at the HBCU football coaches uh, and media polls. Um, we're going to begin, uh, obviously, not, not a whole lot. We had six teams in action last week, three games that were played, including the Bayou Classic, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on here on the Wallace and where HBCU football podcast. And, of course, Mike was at that game. But uh, with respect to the coaches poll, A&T obviously remains at number one, uh, followed by Grambling, who remains at number two, got the big win, 30-21 to over Southern. Bethune-Cookman uh, moved up to number three. Alcorn State moved up to number four, and Southern dropped from three to number five. Six through ten, Howard, North Carolina Central, Hampton, Prairie View a and and Tennessee State. If we look at the media poll, again, A&T and Grambling, one and two, followed by Virginia State. Uh, Bowie State moves up to number four. Southern drops to number five from four last week. Six through ten, Alcorn State, North Carolina Central, Tuskegee, Howard, and Bethune-Cookman. And we're winding this HBCU football season down. There are two games remaining, three teams left, if you will. I know we're going to talk a little bit also about that SWAC championship game between Grambling and, of course, Alcorn State taking place on Saturday in Houston. And then, ultimately, the Celebration Bowl, which is going to determine the HBCU champions, going to take place on December 16th in Atlanta. A&T going to play the winner of Alcorn State uh, and Grambling. So, Mike, not a whole lot of movement with respect to the poll, but certainly Southern drops in the poll, and their season is over. Yeah, their season is over. I was in uh, the Louisiana Superdome uh, over the weekend, last weekend, and, and you know, it was, it, I tell you what, it was it was an intriguing game. You know, I, I won't say it was a well played game. I won't say it was a well executed game. It was more of a, a sort of lethargic start to that game. Uh, you talked about the poll. The bottom line is this: Grambling State University still emerged as the number two team in black college football HBCU box to row coaches poll. North Carolina A&T is going to be cemented at number one, having gone coast-to-coast undefeated 11-0, making MEAC history. And for now, we still have the number one versus number two showdown on a collision course. Um, more than anything, that's one thing that I want to – I'd like to see that uh, preserved. Um, that's not to say that Alcorn can't you know, figure out what went wrong on October 21st when they took that 41-14 to beatdown in Grambling. Uh, against the Grambling State University Tigers, and now they get a chance to to sort of avenge that loss uh, in Houston on a neutral site field. I suspect we'll see a closer game. But this is an Alcorn team that didn't really play well against Jackson State. That was an abysmal performance. Now they've had two weeks off, uh, so they had an additional week off, uh, so to speak, to get ready for that game. And 
you think that there could be some adjustments. I can also tell you this. Uh, Montez Carter got injured in that game in the, in, in the uh, Bayou Classic, came back and finished it with a big-time touchdown at the end. So his health might be an issue. Big-time running back for the Grandma State University Tigers. Uh, Devontae Kincaid did not play well in that game. He made a few passes. He made a few plays to sustain that game and, 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 and lead them to the win. But he was not dominating with his accuracy down the field uh, the way that he should be. So this isn't a Grambling team that I feel strongly about that it's just going to come out and just steamroll uh, anyone. But they, they do have an opportunistic defense that can force turnovers. And you have an opportunity, as they showed against Southern, that they could just – the depth just overwhelms you. So seeing how that game played out uh, in front of – tell you what, another shout-out, 66,550 fans in the Superdome. The Bayou Classic is back, folks. That classic is back. I've seen it at its height. I've seen it hit a snag, and now I'm seeing it back on top again. Battle of the Bands, I tell you what. I mean, I know we didn't rank the bands yet, but the Battle of the Bands, Southern kicked Gramlin's ass on Friday <laughs> night in the straight-up Battle of the Bands. No question about it. Southern was the best band almost every single song. Gramlin didn't look like it was prepared for competition. It looked like they were more prepared for a recital uh, that night. But Saturday, <laughs> when the halftime Battle of the Bands show came, Grambling did their thing and avenged that performance and beat up on Southern's band at halftime. So I'm giving you the whole coast-to-coast coverage analysis from the Bayou Classic. But, again, one, two, that's all that matters to me. Stay intact. Uh, Three, four, five, six through ten. The right ten teams are in there. You know, I think what you you just laid out in terms of the rankings uh, will will hold firm. You know, this is probably, uh, you know, one of the last rankings that we have for the season. So, you know, again, we'll see what happens once the uh, Celebration Bowl uh, finalizes and we'll see who's on top. But if Gremlin takes care of business in the final SWAC championship game in that conference's history, um, then you're looking at one versus two. You're looking at the defending champ against a historic MEAC team. Uh, you're looking at Gremlin trying to go back-to-back. You know, and, and I, I can't wait, man. I mean, it's, I know we're going to talk about that game a little bit later, but, I mean, I, I – I, I just like uh, the way we stood. I like the way the final poll uh, shaped up. I think you have every team either at or above 500, which is what it should be uh, in terms of the credibility of the polls. And uh, I, I think black college football uh, is strong now. There's going to be some coaching changes. We've already seen some interims and some, some coaches uh, named to positions. Uh, but for the most part, there's going to be some change, and the programs that aren't strong are going to be looking for people to make them stronger. So I like where we stand. I like just like in uh, FBS level, there's a chance for us to get one versus two, and that's all anyone can ask for. Yeah, no question about it. So, let, I mean, let's you know, let's further expound on that um, here on the Wallace and Ware HBCU Football Podcast, and, and, and with respect to the SWAC Championship game taking place on Saturday in Houston. I, you know, I, I I agree with just about everything you said with respect uh, to Grambling. Uh, you know. Uh, they they had to grind it out and and yeah I was wrong no doubt I thought Southern could pull up the upset or pull off the upset and I mean you know almost doesn't win a race I get it but they were right there I mean listen Gramlin had a chance to go up fourteen to nothing Southern hung in there they were able to take the lead ultimately to your point the better team won Gramlin's defense is really really good to your point about Devontae Kincaid. I, I, you know, listen, and, and and let me let me let let's back up a little bit because this is a rematch of uh, the last two SWAC championship games, um, also, 
And last year, Old Corn State, same situ- similar situation. Grambling blows All Corn State out in the regular season. All Corn State in the championship game got off to the 17 to nothing lead. Ultimately, Grambling came back uh, and won that football game. But you're right. I mean, you know, Alcorn has had some time to rest. They're coming off a bad loss against Jackson State. Time they played this game, however, they would have had, what, three weeks off, so they have a lot of time to prepare. They've seen Grambling in another game. I think they're going to be ultimately prepared. I do think Grambling wins this game. But to your point, you know, Devontae Kincaid, and I look at the numbers this year, and I looked at the numbers last year, 30 touchdowns to four interceptions. Yet, when I look at his last two games last year against Grambling and against North Carolina Central, not very good. I look at the numbers this year. You were there. I looked at the game. I saw a little bit of the game. I look at the numbers. They weren't spectacular. And it seems like Martez Carter gets stronger and stronger and stronger as the year goes on. He had a spectacular game. So uh, I think this game uh, is going to come down uh, to the wire. I think it's, in fact, going to be a close game, meaning the SWAC championship game. I ultimately think that Grambling will prevail in the game, but not without a fight from the Braves uh, who, who you know, who are looking to avenge that beatdown, as you mentioned, uh, back in October. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, again, it's not like, uh, you know, there, there's storylines. I mean, there's familiarity uh, across the board. I mean, even when you were talking about on the other end with uh, A&T having to secure, um, you know, uh, the, the, the season that they needed to, to, to cap off that perfect regular season, they needed to get by North Carolina Central. Uh, which was, what, two, three-time defending champion when you think about it. And, uh, you know, uh, Alcorn is knocking on that door just like uh, uh, North Carolina A&T was uh, against a familiar team that they just could not get by when it really, really mattered. So we'll see. I mean, there's something to be said for that. Uh, Alcorn, Lenore's Footman is one of the best quarterbacks, two-way threats that we've, that we've had in this league. He's put up record numbers. Uh, Devontae Kincaid now is two years as a starter, has led Grambling to – you know, the best back-to-back seasons in terms of victory totals uh, in, in, in program history. Um, you know, so you, you go across the board. I mean, you know, go back over to all the, all that A&T has accomplished from a historic record-breaking, record-setting uh, standpoint with all of their talent there, too. So, you know, it's, it's, I'll tell you what's funny, though. Here's what's funny, uh, Donald, is that I was going through uh, Getty Images and, and trying to find some photos that we put with our – uh, you know, our, our coverage of HBCU sports and sports period. And I typed in Bayou Classic because I wanted to see the photo collages that the national media uh, had access to from the Bayou Classic. And you scroll down past the first 20 or so, you get to uh, <laughs> your boy Rod Broadway holding up the Bayou Classic Championship trophy from uh, 2008 when he was with Grambling. So, again, like a- a- as the weeks progress and-, and these lineups and these matchups start to take shape. There's going to be so many storylines over these next couple of weeks for us to cover. Uh, we can't get to them all, you know, tonight. We're not. We're going to continue to move on. But it, it's so much uh, familiarity there, and, and it's so many uh, intricate details that go into this that it just makes it an exciting time, and it, it really does. And I'm happy that, you know, we're not just telling you what we see from the scores. You're in the press box every single weekend on the road, at home, you know, at home games, road games. I'm in the Superdome. You know, with 66,000 people, um, you know, we're not telling you what we think. We're telling you what we know, and we're sharing perspective and insight on what we know based on these matchups. And I don't think you're going to hear that kind of in, insight and, in, you know, in-depth coverage 
uh, anywhere else. So I'm proud of what we've done over the course of this season, and we're just going to continue to keep it going. And, and speaking of continuing to keep it going, you know, I got to I got to continue to tell you that global music icon, a six-time Grammy winner. Janet Jackson is bringing her talents to FedEx Forum on Wednesday, December 6th as part of the 2017 State of the World Tour. I tell you guys about this on every podcast. There's still time to catch Janet Jackson. There's a reason why we start promoting these con- uh, concerts so far in advance is because we want to conv- first inform you that they're coming and then convince you that you should be in the building right alongside us. And who wouldn't want to miss? Who, wouldn't wanna, uh, who would want to miss Janet Jackson? Again, like I said, I mean, this is a six-time Grammy Award winner. She's a legendary performer. Donald, I know how you feel about her, so I'm not even going to ask you uh, if you want in because I know you want in, so i got to figure out a way to see if you can get in where you fit in at this concert. But tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com, the FedEx phone box office, or by phone at 800-745-3000. Absolutely. So you ready for – the uh, and and I'd, I'd like if if I may be so inclined to start with you in terms of maybe the coolest thing you saw this weekend. <laughs> oh man, where where do I start? I know. Man? I mean, it's it just just being in the Superdome again. Uh, I, I I have so many Superdome memories. Um, you know, over the years, obviously when I went when I attended Grambling State University in the early nineties. Uh, early to mid '90s, it was uh, I was there every year for Bayou Classic, and the coolest thing I saw was when that attendance figure was announced, and you say, and, and, you know, 66,550 people in the Louisiana Superdome, and you know, I was there about three years ago. Attendance was a little bit low. I mean, it was it was probably maybe 40, uh, 40,000, maybe even you know, low thir- uh, high 30s. But I've also been there when it when it hit hard times, and it was. You know, they had to move it, you know, to Houston. And, and, and to see the crowd reaction, to see New Orleans packed, to see this city, uh, you know, that city embraced, to see so many Southern fans and Grambler fans. Um, you know, there are, you know, a lot of people are related. I mean, this is, un, this is not unlike some of these rivalries that you have, Michigan, Michigan State, you know, uh, you know Ohio State, Michigan, or, or, you know, Louisiana State. I mean, you know, it, it's Alabama, Auburn. I mean, you get this. Florida, Florida State, Grambling and Southern is in the Bayou Classic is 44 years old now, and, and it's been around since 1974. And to see uh, uh, the communities come together the way they are, like you can't go anywhere in New Orleans without seeing someone representing one of those two schools. I mean, whether it's the day before or whether it's the day of, the day after, you know, you're driving back from New Orleans and all the way up 55, all the way across 10. You know, you're seeing uh, car flags with Grambling and Southern on them. And you just realize, man, listen, you know, I, 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 I'm not always, you know, happy with the type of the, the, the national coverage that our schools get. I'm not always happy with the resources that, that our schools uh, use and spend. We can always do better. But there's a sense of pride that comes when you see that many people pack an NFL stadium, a dome, uh, to support HBCU sports, to support HBCU scholarship initiatives, um, and, and to support these these bands and these Greeks and, and these student athletes, man. And it's just, you know, I, I'm getting older now, and I'm starting to appreciate things that I probably should have had more appreciation for when I was younger. But at the end of the day, man, it never gets old to see the Superdome packed the way it was packed and to see the love that you see in the stands um, and, and on the field, man. So. You know, I'm just I'm just glad I had another opportunity to get to the Bayou Classic. So that, in a nutshell, 
in, in the grand scheme was the coolest thing I saw. What about you, D-Ware? Yeah, you know, Mike, we're on the same page. I mean, even though I wasn't there, it's cool It's cool to see that the Bayou Classic is back. You mentioned this earlier uh, in our show, uh, and you said it very well there. I mean, it, you go back to 2011. This was a game that didn't even draw. It drew less than 41,000 people in 2011. A lot of that, I mean, we, it, 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 a lot of it was still maybe post-Katrina, but I think a lot of it is because, you know, the programs at that time, neither of the, if, if my memory serves me correctly, Broadway had, uh, matter of fact, Broadway had was at A&T that first year, and neither one of the programs was particularly good. But now you come some six years later, you look at the last four years. The last four years, the, the Western Division crown has been decided because of this football game. And you mentioned the 66,550. They had 67,000 uh, or, or almost 68,000 actually on last year. I know they were looking to get uh, about 68,000 this year. Didn't quite hit that mark. But that's not really the point. The point is, to your point, the Bayou Classic is in fact back uh and i think it's here to stay i mean if you look at the if you look at both of the programs i mean I, you know mike i feel like i feel bad for southern because southern has had a, a phenomenal season right i mean they, well, i shouldn't say phenomenal they've had a really good season but even if they had no swack losses coming into this game they lose to gramley both teams well, Grambling didn't wouldn't have had any losses anyway. I mean, you're looking at a situation where Southern, even with no swack losses, would have only had one loss. So I I feel bad for them because Grambling is just right now a better program. Southern's gonna try have to try to figure out next year how to replace its quarterback Austin Howard. But the bottom line is, I think these are gonna be the two teams that are gonna be fighting for that Western Division crown, and how fitting that it should end. Uh, now with the way things are now, I can't. I, I got to be honest with you. Some years back, you know, I'm like, well, you know, the Bayou class is kind of holding up the SWAC, and the SWAC can't get any teams in the uh, in the FCS playoffs in part because of the Bayou Classic. But now the SWAC championship goes away, so it may open up some things a little bit more. But the bottom line is, the Bayou Classic is back. You're going to see these two teams uh, fighting for that Bayou that Bayou Classic and that Western Division crown really over the next uh, couple of years, and it's good to see that uh, New Orleans, with respect to the Bayou Classic, is back. Oh, no no, no question. No question about it. And it's going to be interesting because, you know, talking to Broderick Fobbs, uh, the head coach at Gramlin earlier this season, and I know you had a chance to have him on your show, The Box to Row, from the Press Box to Press Row. And uh, what he told me earlier this season, I, I asked him point blank, and I think I shared this on one of our previous podcasts, was that, you know, the, the, the SWAC, with the SWAC doing away with this conference championship game after this season, um, you know, our, Grambling this year and North Carolina A&T could do some damage, I think, at the FCS playoff level. And we have two of our best and our brightest and our most historic programs at the height of their existence right now uh, in terms of competitive balance, uh, not even competing for national championships. And that's the one thing, and we'll get into more of this, you know, as we get to Atlanta and we discuss, uh, uh, you know, the HBCU uh, Celebration Bowl Black Championship because I, I, I want us to get both coaches in on this because I do think that, that, that I would love to see what Gramlin can do against a Jacksonville State or against a North Dakota State or somebody like that, some of these teams, uh, and then potentially have home-round games to play. You know, now we saw on the Division Two level, 
uh, that, that Virginia State and Bowie State, as dominant as they were during the regular season, just didn't have it, um, uh, you know, at that level, even when they were playing at home. And, and I think that we, we still have to overcome that stigma that our product as HBCU football is inferior to common level opponents uh, when it comes to mainstream universities and institutions. And, you know, that's why I wanted to see Tennessee State do well because I wanted to see how they stacked up in a conference that had a three-time defending champion in Jacksonville State. Tennessee State didn't pull it out. They couldn't do what they needed to do. Uh, In the coming years, we'll see Hampton uh, get a chance to do just that in the Big South. Uh, Monmouth is a team, and and, 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 uh, Tennessee State are teams that that, that tend to be postseason-type teams uh, at that level of football. So, you know, we'll see it play out. But I I just think, you know, for once, I just want to see – because I had a chance to see Billy Joe. I was covering Florida A&M. Uh, during Billy Joe's heyday as coach there, uh, when he got that Florida and them Rattlers team uh, with Jaywan Sider and Pat Bonner and, you know, transfers from West Virginia, transfer quarterback from, from Temple, and Jaquay Nunnally, you know, who broke Jerry Rice's all-time receiving records of 301 receptions. Uh, Kanan Lamb, uh, top, top-notch HBCU receiver who ended up becoming a music recording producer and recorded, uh, uh, produced SWV and several other uh, uh, recording artists. Um, you know, the, 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 the Yak Boys is what they call themselves, the, you know, the Yards After Catch Boys, the Gulf Coast offense. I saw that team at FAMU uh, not only win the MEAC, and, and Donald, you were there at the time, but they also went into the playoffs and got to the Final Four. I mean, they lost to Youngstown State, which was a team that eventually under, uh, you know, eventually won their fifth, uh, uh, you know, Division One AA championship that year. They had to get – FAMU went up there to Youngstown, Ohio, and played a valiant game against those guys. And, um, you know, it's, it's, nothing, it's nothing against that. Jim Trussell was the coach at the time who, before he went on to Ohio State. I would like to see our schools get back to that level. And that's not to diminish what's happening and the opportunities that the Celebration Bowl uh, has presented. Broderick Foss told me to get back to what I was originally saying. Uh, he told me that the check is just, you know, it, the, the check that they get for playing in that bowl game uh, makes up for them uh, uh, basically losing money or having to spend money or barely breaking even going out and playing in the, H- in the uh, FCS uh, playoff format. I don't agree with that. When you're the best, you want to prove on the field that you're the best. I think you limit yourself by just limiting your competition to HBCUs. Uh, when you can, when you're competing for students and you're competing for scholarship money and you're competing for grants with mainstream universities, you should be on the field competing against them as well when you have the opportunity. And the only shame in this is that we won't uh, be able to see a, a wonderful A&T team and a dominant Grambling State University team uh, go do that. But having said that, I'm going to take this celebration bowl if they can get to it and uh, if those two teams get to it. And if Alcorn gets there, I- I'd love to see what they can do out there as well. So we have a chance, man. So I, kn- I know that takes us away from where we were, but that sort of dovetails into, you know, what we're looking forward to. Uh, you know, we normally do two for two to close out the show. But there's really only one game to look at right now, and, and that one game is uh, the conference championship in the SWAC, SWAC East champ, uh, Alcorn State, 7-4, SWAC West champ, Grambling State, 10-1. and one. Go at it again, as we said earlier in the show. Uh, Grambling won 41-14 on October 21st in Grambling when those two teams met. So uh, they're going to have a chance to, to, uh, to, 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 pit, to pit each other out again, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, no question about it. Um... I mean, um, you know, I'm I'm interested to see, you know, the health of Lenore's footman and, and 
you know, healthy. I mean, this kid is dynamic. I mean, you're right. I mean, having been a part of that very first celebration bowl, Alcorn State against A&T, I mean, he was as advertised, meaning Lenore's footman. And, you know, I think if if he if, if he plays, it's going to give Alcorn State more of it, a, a better opportunity to perhaps pull that game out. I mean, I, I think Grambling's talent is too much. Um, Martez Carter is really, really good. Um, you know, I think it's going to be, like I said, a much closer game. But, you know, it's going to be the game to watch. Obviously, I got my eyes on it because I'm looking ahead to see what both of these teams, meaning Grambling and Alcorn State, bring to the table when either of them match up against North Carolina A&T in two weeks uh, or, in, uh, well, about two and a half weeks now uh, in Atlanta for the Celebration Bowl. And you're right, we'll talk more about uh, about the uh, the dynamics of uh, HBCUs, Division One HBCUs, more specifically playing the Celebration Bowl, not Tennessee State, but this, in essence, the SWAC and the MEAC, and not uh, playing in the FCS playoffs. And, uh, you know, we'll talk, obviously, Mike, more about that in the weeks to come. Oh, no question about it, man. No question about it. So that wraps us up. You know, I mean, we, we've done it again. Another uh, podcast is in the books. Uh, we covered a lot of topics, man. We covered, obviously, the uh, the coaching change with the Memphis Grizzlies as they try to uh, salvage what, uh, this season, you know. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a tough stretch in December coming up. They got back-to-back games. It opens with back-to-back games against San Antonio. Then you got Cleveland. Then you got Minnesota. And later in the month, you go out west twice. You go out west once against the Golden State Warriors before Christmas break. Then you hit Christmas, and then you go back out again and play the Warriors in the midst of that one as well. There's another game against Oklahoma City in there. you got Toronto, your trip at the New York Knicks. You go at Washington in, in December as well. So this is, a, this is a tough, tough, difficult stretch uh, in December uh, that's looming for the, for the Memphis Grizzlies. But, again, these are guys that are going to continue to fight. You know, I don't say that because I'm with Zion City Media. I say that because I've covered this team independently with outside media and internally with Grind uh, City Media. So I know the heart that these guys have. This is a tough stretch. Injuries, if they can get back closer to health, then they should be able to get back closer to uh, competing for a playoff spot. We'll see how it goes from there. But as we wrap up, i got to tell you about our friends at Pinnacle, Pinnacle Grizzlies Banking. Play hard, bank easy at grizzliesbanking.com. Pinnacle makes it easy to see to see your home team in action. Open the Grizzlies checking account with a recurring direct deposit by April 1st, and you can win $200 in tickets or pro shop gear. So go to grizzliesbanking.com for details. Grizzlies checking from Pinnacle. Play hard. Bank easy. That's another one in the books, D-Ware. No doubt about it. And Mike's going to have you updated with respect to everything Memphis Grizzlies, including uh, the uh, – the the uh, Coach Tisdale situation, you can stay right here at GrindCityMedia.com. And if you're listening to this podcast uh, on SoundCloud at uh, Grind City Media, again, switch over to GrindCityMedia.com throughout the course of the week. And, of course, Mike's going to make his appearance on From the Press Box to Press Rope uh, this weekend on a radio station near you. You can log on to BoxToRow.com and click on the affiliates link for a radio station in your area that carries the show. Or you can listen Saturday mornings, Sirius XM Channel 142, 8 a.m. Central Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and that's 6 a.m. out west. And we'll talk with you next week.